The Jungle Book, Chapter Four, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Meredith Hughes, Cambridge, Massachusetts. The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling, Chapter Four, The White Seal, Part One. Oh, hush thee, my baby, the night is behind us, and black are the waters that sparkled so green. The moon o'er the combers looks downward to find us, at rest in the hollows that rustle between. Where billow meets billow, then soft be thy pillow, O oh, weary wee flipperling, curl at thy ease. The storm shall not wake thee, nor shark overtake thee, asleep in the arms of the slow-swinging seas. Seal Lullaby All these things happened several years ago at a place called Novastoshna, or Northeast Point, on the island of St. Paul, away and away in the Bering Sea. Limmershin, the winter wren, told me the tale when he was blown on to the rigging of a steamer going to Japan, and I took him down into my cabin and warmed him and fed him for a couple of days till he was fit to fly back to St. Paul again. Limmershin is a very quaint little bird, but he knows how to tell the truth. Nobody comes to Novastoshna except on business, and the only people who have regular business there are the seals. They come in the summer months by hundreds and hundreds of thousands out of the cold grey sea, for Novastoshna Beach has the finest accommodation for seals of any place in all the world. Sea Catch knew that, and every spring would swim from whatever place he happened to be in, would swim like a torpedo boat straight for Novastoshna and spend a month fighting with his companions for a good place on the rocks, as close to the sea as possible. Sea Catch was fifteen years old, a huge grey fur seal with almost a mane on his shoulders, and long, wicked dog-teeth. When he heaved himself up on his front flippers, he stood more than four feet clear of the ground, and his weight, if anyone had been bold enough to weigh him, was nearly seven hundred pounds. He was scarred all over with the marks of savage fights, but he was always ready for just one fight more. He would put his head on one side, as though he were afraid to look his enemy in the face. Then he would shoot it out like lightning, and when the big teeth were firmly fixed on the other seal's neck, the other seal might get away if he could, but Sea Catch would not help him. Yet Sea Catch never chased a beaten seal, for that was against the rules of the beach. He only wanted room by the sea for his nursery, but as there were forty or fifty thousand other seals hunting for the same thing each spring, the whistling, bellowing, roaring, and blowing on the beach was something frightful. From a little hill called Hutchinson's Hill, you could look over three and a half miles of ground covered with fighting seals, and the surf was dotted all over with the heads of seals hurrying to land and begin their share of fighting. They fought in the breakers, they fought in the sand, and they fought on the smooth-worn basalt rocks of the nurseries, for they were just as stupid and unaccommodating as men. Their wives never came to the island until late in May or early in June, for they did not care to be torn to pieces. And the young two-, three-, and four-year-old seals, who had not begun housekeeping, went inland about half a mile, through the ranks of the fighters, and played about on the sand-dunes in droves and legions, and rubbed off every single green thing that grew. They were called the Holluschickie, the bachelors, and there were perhaps two or three hundred thousand of them at Novastoshna alone. 
Sea-Catch had just finished his forty-fifth fight one spring, when Matka, his soft, sleek, gentle-eyed wife, came up out of the sea, and he caught her by the scruff of the neck and dumped her down on his reservation, saying gruffly, "'Late as usual. Where have you been?' It was not the fashion for Sea-Catch to eat anything during the four months he stayed on the beaches, and so his temper was generally bad. Matka knew better than to answer back. She looked round and cooed, "'How thoughtful of you! You've taken the old place again.' "'I should think I had,' said Sea-Catch. "'Look at me!' He was scratched and bleeding in twenty places, one eye was almost out, and his sides were torn to ribbons. "'Oh, you men! You men!' Matka said, fanning herself with her hind-flipper. "'Why can't you be sensible and settle your places quietly? You look as though you had been fighting with a killer whale.' "'I haven't been doing anything but fight since the middle of May. "'The beach is disgracefully crowded this season. "'I've met at least a hundred seals from Lucannon Beach, house-hunting. "'Why can't people stay where they belong?' "'I've often thought we should be much happier "'if we hauled out at Otter Island instead of this crowded place,' said Matka. "'Bah! Only the Hollis Chicky go to Otter Island. "'If we went there they would say we were afraid. "'We must preserve appearances, my dear.' Sea-Catch sank his head proudly between his fat shoulders and pretended to go to sleep for a few minutes, but all the time he was keeping a sharp lookout for a fight. Now that all the seals and their wives were on the land, you could hear their clamour miles out to sea above the loudest gales. At the lowest counting, there were over a million seals on the beach—old seals, mother seals, tiny babies and hollis chicky, fighting, scuffling, bleating, crawling, and playing together— going down to the sea and coming up from it in gangs and regiments, lying over every foot of ground as far as the eye could reach, and skirmishing about in brigades through the fog. It is nearly always foggy at Novastoshna, except when the sun comes out and makes everything look all pearly and rainbow-coloured for a little while. Kodik, Matka's baby, was born in the middle of that confusion, and he was all head and shoulders, with pale watery blue eyes, as tiny seals must be, but there was something about his coat that made his mother look at him very closely. "'Sea-catch,' she said at last. "'Our baby's going to be white!' "'Empty clan-shells and dry seaweed,' snorted Sea-catch. "'There never has been such a thing in the world as a white seal.' "'I can't help that,' said Matka. "'There's going to be now.' And she sang the low, crooning seal-song that all the mother-seals sing to their babies. You mustn't swim till you're six weeks old, or your head will be sunk by your heels. And summer gales and killer whales are bad for baby seals. Are bad for baby seals, dear rat, as bad as bad can be. But splash and grow strong, and you can't be wrong, child of the open sea. Of course, the little fellow did not understand the words at first. He paddled and scrambled about by his mother's side, and learned to scuffle out of the way when his father was fighting with another seal and the two rolled and roared up and down the slippery rocks. Matka used to go to sea to get things to eat, and the baby was only fed once in two days. But then he ate all he could and throve upon it. The first thing he did was to crawl inland, and there he met tens of thousands of babies of his own age, and they played together like puppies, went to sleep on the clean sand, and played again. The old people in the nurseries took no notice of them and the Hollis Chickie kept to their own grounds, and the babies had a beautiful playtime. 
When Matka came back from her deep-sea fishing, she would go straight to their playground and call as a sheep calls for a lamb, and wait until she heard Kodak bleat. Then she would take the straightest of straight lines in his direction, striking out with her foreflippers and knocking the youngsters head over heels right and left. There were always a few hundred mothers hunting for their children through the playgrounds, and the babies were kept lively. But, as Matka told Kodak, "'So long as you don't lie in muddy water and get mange, or rub the hard sand into a cut or scratch, and so long as you never go swimming when there is a heavy sea, nothing will hurt you here.' Little seals can no more swim than little children, but they are unhappy till they learn. The first time that Kodak went down to the sea, a wave carried him out beyond his depth, and his big head sank and his little hind flippers flew up exactly as his mother told him in the song, and if the next wave had not thrown him back again, he would have drowned. After that he learned to lie in a beach pool, and let the wash of the waves just cover him, and lift him up while he paddled, but he always kept his eye open for big waves that might hurt. He was two weeks learning to use his flippers, and all that while he floundered in and out of the water, and coughed and grunted and crawled up the beach, and took catnaps on the sand, and went back again, until at last he found that he truly belonged to the water. Then you can imagine the times that he had with his companions, ducking under the rollers, or coming in on top of a comber and landing with a swash and a splutter as the big wave went whirling far up the beach, or standing up on his tail and scratching his head as the old people did, or playing I'm the king of the castle on slippery, weedy rocks that just stuck out of the wash. Now and then he would see a thin fin, like a big shark's fin, drifting along close to the shore, and he knew that this was the killer whale, the grampus who eats young seals when he can get them, and Kotick would head for the beach like an arrow, and the fin would jig off slowly, as if it were looking for nothing at all. Late in October the seals began to leave St. Paul for the deep sea, by families and tribes, and there was no more fighting over the nurseries, and the hollis chickie played anywhere they liked. "'Next year,' said Matka to Kotick, "'you will be a hollis chickie, but this year you must learn how to catch fish.' They set out together across the Pacific, and Matka showed Kodak how to sleep on his back with his flippers tucked down by his side and his little nose just out of the water. No cradle is so comfortable as the long, rocking swell of the Pacific. When Kodak felt his skin tingle all over, Matka told him he was learning the feel of the water, and that tingly, prickly feelings meant bad weather coming, and he must swim hard and get away. In a little time, she said, you'll know where to swim to. But just now we'll follow Sea Pig, for he is very wise. A school of porpoises was ducking and tearing through the water, and little Kodak followed them as fast as he could. "'How do you know where to go?' he panted. The leader of the school rolled his white eye and ducked under. "'My tail tingles, youngster,' he said. "'That means there's a gale behind me. Come along. When you're south of the sticky water,' he meant the equator, "'and your tail tingles, that means there's a gale in front of you and you must head north. Come along. The water feels bad here. This was one of very many things that Kodak learned, and he was always learning. Matka taught him to follow the cod and the halibut along the undersea banks, and wrench the rockling out of his hole among the weeds, how to skirt the wrecks lying a hundred fathoms below water, and dart like a rifle bullet in at one porthole and out at another as the fishes ran, how to dance on top of the waves when the lightning was racing all over the sky, and wave his flipper politely to the stumpy-tailed albatross and the man-of-war hawk as they went down the wind. 
how to jump three or four feet clear of the water like a dolphin, flippers close to the side and tail curved, to leave the flying fish alone because they are all bony, to take the shoulder-piece out of a cod at full speed ten fathoms deep, and never to stop to look at a boat or a ship, but particularly a rowboat. At the end of six months, what Kodak did not know about deep-sea fishing was not worth knowing, and all that time he never set flipper on dry ground. One day, however, as he was lying half-asleep in the warm water somewhere off the island of Juan Fernandez, he felt faint and lazy all over, just as human people do when the spring is in their legs, and he remembered the good firm beaches of Novostoshna, seven thousand miles away, the games his companions played, and the smell of the seaweed, the seal roar and the fighting. That very minute he turned north, swimming steadily, and as he went on he met scores of his mates all bound for the same place, and they said, Greeting, Kodak! This year we are all Hollis Chicky, and we can dance the fire dance and the breakers off Lucannon, and play on the new grass. But where did you get that coat? Kodak's fur was almost pure white now, and though he felt very proud of it, he only said, Swim quickly, my bones are aching for the land. And so they all came to the beaches where they had been born, and heard the old seals, their fathers, fighting in the rolling mist. That night Kodak danced the fire dance with the yearling seals. The sea is full of fire on summer nights, all the way down from Novostoshna to Lucannon, and each seal leaves a wake like burning oil behind him, and a flaming flash where he jumps, and the waves break in great phosphorescent streaks and swirls. Then they went inland to the Holluschicky grounds, and rolled up and down in the new wild wheat, and told stories of what they had done while they had been at sea. They talked about the Pacific, as boys would talk about a wood that they had been nutting in, and if any one had understood them, he could have gone away and made such a chart of that ocean as never was. The three- and four-year-old Hollis Chicky romped down from Hutchinson's Hill, crying, "'Out of the way, youngsters! The sea is deep, and you don't know all that's in it yet. Wait till you've rounded the horn. Hi, you yearling! Where did you get that white coat?' "'I didn't get it,' said Kodak. "'It grew!' and just as he was going to roll the speaker over, a couple of black-haired men with flat red faces came from behind a sand-dune, and Kodak, who had never seen a man before, coughed and lowered his head. The hollis just bundled off a few yards and sat staring stupidly. The men were no less than Carrick Buterin, chief of the seal-hunters on the island, and Patalamon, his son. They came from the little village not half a mile from the seal-nurseries, and they were deciding what seals they would drive up to the killing-pens, for the seals were driven just like sheep, to be turned into sealskin jackets later on. "'Ho!' said Potalamon. "'Look! There's a white seal!' Carrick Buterin turned nearly white under his oil and smoke, for he was an Aleut, and Aleuts are not clean people. Then he began to mutter a prayer. "'Don't touch him, Potalamon. There has never been a white seal since—' since I was born. Perhaps it is old Zaharoff's ghost. He was lost last year in the big gale. "'I'm not going near him,' said Patalamon. "'He's unlucky. Do you really think he is old Zaharoff come back? I owe him for some gull's eggs.' "'Don't look at him,' said Carrick. "'Head off that drove of four-year-olds. The men ought to skin two hundred to-day, but it's the beginning of the season, and they are new to the work. A hundred will do. Quick!' Patalamon rattled a pair of seal's shoulder bones in front of a herd of holluschickie, and they stopped dead, puffing and blowing. Then he stepped near, and the seals began to move, and Carrick headed them inland, 
and they never tried to get back to their companions. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of seals watched them being driven, but they went on playing just the same. Kotick was the only one who asked questions, and none of his companions could tell him anything, except that the men always drove seals in that way for six weeks or two months of every year. "'I'm going to follow,' he said, and his eyes nearly popped out of his head as he shuffled along in the wake of the herd. "'The white seal is coming after us,' cried Patalamon. "'That's the first time a seal has ever come to the killing grounds alone.' "'Hush! Don't look behind you,' said Carrick. "'It is Zaharoff's ghost. I must speak to the priest about this.' The distance to the killing ground was only half a mile, but it took an hour to cover, because if the seals went too fast, Carrick knew they would get heated and then their fur would come off in patches when they were skinned. So they went on very slowly, past Sea Lion's Neck, past Webster House, till they came to the Salt House, just beyond the sight of the seals on the beach. Kodak followed, panting and wondering. He thought that he was at the world's end, but the roar of the seal nurseries behind him sounded as loud as the roar of a train in a tunnel. Then Carrick sat down on the moss and pulled out a heavy pewter watch and let the drove cool off for thirty minutes, and Kodak could hear the fog dew dripping off the brim of his cap. Then ten or twelve men, each with an iron-bound club three or four feet long, came up, and Carrick pointed out one or two of the drove that were bitten by their companions or too hot, and the men kicked those aside with their heavy boots made of the skin of a walrus's throat. And then Carrick said, "'Let go!' And then the men clubbed the seals on the head as fast as they could. Ten minutes later little Kodak did not recognize his friends any more, for their skins were ripped off from the nose to the hind flippers, whipped off, and thrown down on the ground in a pile. That was enough for Kodak. He turned and galloped, a seal can gallop very swiftly for a short time, back to sea, his little new moustache bristling with horror. At Sea Lion's Neck, where the great sea lions sit on the edge of the surf, he flung himself flipper overhead into the cool water, and rocked there, gasping miserably. "'What's here?' said a sea lion gruffly, for as a rule the sea lions keep themselves to themselves. "'Scoochny! Ochen scoochny!' "'I'm lonesome, very lonesome,' said Kodak. "'They're killing all the hollis chicky on all the beaches.' The sea-lion turned his head inshore. "'Nonsense,' he said. "'Your friends are making just as much noise as ever. "'You must have seen old Carrick polishing off a drove. "'He's done that for thirty years.' "'It's horrible,' said Kodak, backing water as a wave went over him and steadying himself with a screw-stroke of his flippers that brought him all standing within three inches of a jagged edge of rock. "'Well done for a yearling,' said the sea-lion, who could appreciate good swimming. "'I suppose it is rather awful from your way of looking at it, but if you seals will come here year after year, of course the men get to know of it, and unless you can find an island where no men ever come, you will always be driven.' "'Isn't there any such island?' began Kodak. I've followed the Poltoos, the halibut, for twenty years, and I can't say I've found it yet. But look here, you seem to have a fondness for talking to your betters. Supposing you go to Walrus Islet and talk to Seavich, he may know something. Don't flounce off like that. It's a six-mile swim, and if I were you, I should haul out and take a nap first, little one. Kodak thought that was good advice, so he swam round to his own beach, hauled out, and slept for half an hour, twitching all over as seals will 
Then he headed straight for Walrus Islet, a little low sheet of rocky island almost due northeast from Novastoshna, all ledges of rock and gull's nests, where the walrus herded by themselves. He landed close to old Seavich, the big, ugly, bloated, pimpled, fat-necked, long-tusked walrus of the North Pacific, who has no manners except when he is asleep, as he was then, with his hind flippers half in and half out of the surf. "'Wake up!' barked Kodik, for the gulls were making a great noise. "'Ha! Ho! Humph! What's that?' said Seavich. And he struck the next walrus a blow with his tusks, and waked him up, and the next struck the next, and so on, till they were all awake and staring in every direction but the right one. "'Hi! It's me!' said Kodik, bobbing in the surf and looking like a little white slug. "'Well, may I be skinned?' said Seavich, and they all looked at Kodik, as you can fancy a club full of drowsy old gentlemen would look at a little boy. Kodik did not care to hear any more about skinning just then. He had seen enough of it, so he called out, "'Isn't there any place for seals to go where men don't ever come?' "'Go and find out,' said Seavich, shutting his eyes. "'Run away. We're busy here.' Kodik made his dolphin jump in the air, and shouted as loud as he could, "'Clam-eater! Clam-eater!' He knew that Seavich never caught a fish in his life, but always rooted for clams and seaweeds, though he pretended to be a very terrible person. Naturally, the chickies and the gooverooskies and the apotkas— the burgomaster gulls and the kittiwakes and the puffins, who were always looking for a chance to be rude, took up the cry. And, so Limmershin told me, for nearly five minutes you could not have heard a gun fired on Walrus Islet. All the population was yelling and screaming, "'Clam-eater! Star-eek! Old man!' while Seavich rolled from side to side, grunting and coughing. "'Now will you tell?' said Kodik, all out of breath. "'Go and ask Sea-Cow,' said Seavich. If he is living still, he'll be able to tell you. "'How shall I know Sea-Cow when I meet him?' said Kodik, shearing off. "'He's the only thing in the sea uglier than Seavich,' screamed Burgomaster Gill, wheeling under Seavich's nose. "'Uglier! And with worse manners! Streak!' Kodik swam back to Novastoshna, leaving the gulls to scream. There he found that no one sympathized with him in his little attempt to discover a quiet place for the seals— they told him that men had always driven the Hollis Chicky, it was part of the day's work, and that if he did not like to see ugly things he should not have gone to the killing grounds. But none of the other seals had seen the killing, and that made the difference between him and his friends. Besides, Kodik was a white seal. "'What you must do,' said old Sea-Catch, after he had heard his son's adventures, "'is to grow up and be a big seal like your father, and have a nursery on the beach, and then they will leave you alone.' In another five years you ought to be able to fight for yourself. Even gentle Matka, his mother, said, You will never be able to stop the killing. Go and play in the sea, Kodik. And Kodik went off and danced the fire dance with a very heavy little heart. End of chapter 4, part 1